Mind UFO Radio. I am Alejandro Rojas and I am joined with the super duper. I've used this one before. I like super duper though. Jason McClellan. You can recycle super duper. I'll, I'll be super duper today. Yeah, you like super duper too. You don't always like some of the t- ones that I use. Um, and I wouldn't yeah. if I were you, so I don't, I don't blame <laughs> you for that. But uh, yeah, some some are less uh, less super duper, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so a lot of cool stuff going on in UFO news in the last week. Uh, we've had a lot of really popular stories, and I want to discuss those. And then uh, Jason just posted a really cool one today, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our guest this week, who is a, a great one. His name is. Joseph Frasconia, he actually goes by Pat. So, uh, Pat. And he's the lawyer for uh, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, who were two of the primary witnesses in the Rendlesham Forest. So, these are guys who were in the Air Force uh, in the UK at uh, these bases that were leased by the uh, US Air Force and, you know, saw this UFO. Jim says he actually went up and touched it and apparently John feels he had some interaction with it as well but uh, he feels his memory has been screwed up and he also feels he's suffering some medical issues that may have been a result of this experience however the government has said you guys weren't in the Air Force during that time when certainly they were finally the government admitted that and then says well you we don't have your medical record sorry so really weird story that possibly these records were classified and some crazy stuff. So we're going to talk to their lawyer who's going to share with us, you know, the struggles he's had getting their records and how odd and um, mysterious this has been for him and his feelings on the whole thing. So really cool stuff. Wild stuff. Very cool stuff. Wild mm-hmm. and crazy stuff. Yeah. So uh, I think this is a really important story that's kind of unfolding here and of course we wrote about it last week and uh, some documents that John Burroughs had found were kind of the UK government kind of agreed and said uh, you know they could have had had a, a long exposure to UAP which is their term for UFO radiation very very local it is. There's so much going on with the story. It continues to change. Um, not yeah. the details of it, but you know the the, the government and and uh, you know the military's take on on things. And I think it just uh, points out that you know they'd be much better off if instead of lying and continue continuing to try to keep up with the lies they've created, they can't do it. They're digging yeah. a hole and it keeps coming and biting them in the ass. So moral yeah. of the story is. Don't lie, governments. Come on. Yeah, quit lying, dude. Come on. Don't be that way. Come on. You're busting my 
Yeah, yeah, well, they're getting busted pretty soon because the truth is coming out. You're busting my cannolis over here. <laughs> All right, so the news. Let's go over the news because there's lots of cool stuff. And, uh, you know, I haven't been able to fully get briefed on the news from this morning, but you have what appears to be a pretty exciting story from Colorado. Yeah, there is. And this is something that started developing on Friday. And uh, what we have here is uh, multiple UFOs over Colorado, um, Breckenridge, actually. And so what, what's going on here is uh, many people, multiple witnesses, saw three UFOs. And these are just, you know, kind of unexciting UFOs. They're just white, bright dots in the sky, um, which could really be anything. But the interesting thing with these UFOs is they were seen uh, reportedly by potentially hundreds of people, including um, news reporters and police officers. Mm. Now, the police officers say that they are investigating this, and uh, the local NBC affiliate there contacted the FAA, and the FAA, as of Friday, they said that they hadn't received any um, reports of anything unusual in the sky. But the police contacted NORAD. And NORAD said that uh, they didn't detect anything, but they were conducting an investigation as well. So these uh, mysterious aerial objects over Colorado are being investigated by the local sheriff's department as well as NORAD. Now, the most interesting uh, description we have here, I think, comes from the actual um, news reporter from the NBC affiliate there because he sat with the the news – camera and observe this object for a long period of time and the way he describes the the these objects is pretty fascinating so Alejandro, as you know i mean you have like a dot in the sky that could be anything and in most cases especially with something like this that seems to be hovering or not really moving with any great speed in the sky it could be a, a mylar balloon and that would make it appear very bright um so you'd be able to see it it'd be visible very high up um, it could be a weather balloon, m- many things. But the reporter says he doesn't believe it's a weather balloon and he doesn't believe it's a drone. And that's another culprit of a lot of these sightings. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Because he says you'd sit there and, and could watch it for like 15 minutes without – it wouldn't move at all. Not slowly drifting but completely motionless. And then – and this is his quote – and then you would see a flash of light and they would take off across the edge of the mountain ridge behind me. Wow. So these objects displayed incredible flight capabilities and were seen by hundreds of people, uh, including police officers saw these objects too. Uh, So we have really interesting objects, and reportedly these objects or similar objects were also seen in Utah the previous day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw the Utah story. Spanning over multiple days, and – when when uh, the NBC affiliate reported that, I, I the only thing I remembered hearing about Utah the previous day was the the fireballs that were reported there. Right. But when I looked at um, the MUFON UFO database, there was actually a witness who reported seeing three uh, small objects in the sky just like this. And the witnesses in Colorado reported seeing these things move in triangle into a triangle formation and then moving into a straight line. So these three lines, three three um, objects in a line, 
And that's what the, the witness in Utah reported to MUFON, that they saw these three objects in a line, just three at mm-hmm. one after another. So yeah. pretty interesting, and just hovering in the sky and then zipping off at incredible speed. Yeah, really weird. Uh, the state director in Utah just posted something this morning uh, in Facebook, and she was saying that, yeah, this is a developing story that she thinks is really cool, and uh, they have a lot of witnesses, and this is going to be really interesting. So uh, I don't even know if she tied it into the Colorado thing yet, so that's really cool. Really weird. And, you know, I've seen similar stuff in Colorado. It was I used to be a MUFON out there. I was an investigator, and these things were reported a lot. But like you said, hard to determine if they're a balloon or not. But I saw something like this once. One of these things cruising across the sky at a steady pace could be a balloon. But then I would see another one once in a while that was kind of zipping around that one. Uh, really weird. They just cross the sky pretty quickly. Uh, and then on another time... And this was really strange, and I, you know, I think it's important to tell the facts, however weird they are. I was with this girl who said she saw UFOs sometimes. She could feel them, and she believed that she was a possible abductee. She had some strange memories that were like this, and sometimes she would say, "We should go outside and look for UFOs." And uh, uh, the first time I went over there to, she said to to Skywatch, you know, she's like, "We should go outside right now." You know, she said you should come over to Skywatch. I thought we were going to be out there all day, but we were going in and out of the house, and and we would only stay outside for five, ten minutes. And uh, we go out there, and she spotted pretty quickly over uh, off in the distance a white dot. It just stood there. It just it didn't move at all. It was during the day, and it was just is the middle of the day, and it was just still. Um, after some time, it like faded out. And then a little bit after that, it reappeared, and it was just above the spot it was in before. So it wasn't in the same spot. And then it faded out again. Uh, this lasted maybe 10, 15 minutes, and that was it. But really weird. I've never figured out what the heck that was. That is really weird. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, these things, like I said, could be really anything just based on the photographs and, and the description of their appearance. But it's the... Description of the the movement, how mm-hmm. fast these things just yeah. shot off, that make them really bizarre. That is fascinating. A flash of light and then shooting off. That is incredible. And, uh, and the source is great. Yeah. So with with local PD and uh, NORAD investigating, hopefully we get some more information about this and they're able to determine more about uh, you know where these things were exactly mm-hmm. in the sky, their altitude, you know, maybe they were captured on radar. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, there are many times we have stories like this and we hear that certain government bodies are investigating and then we don't hear anything else beyond that. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's not the case with this one because it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And now that sheds uh, some more, I think to me, well, I don't know if it does for you, but it, it even makes – this next story, even more mysterious, um, it's one that we covered on Spacing Out, so people can watch Spacing Out or go to our site to see the video. But this is this crazy Hong Kong story that's gone, you know, viral. It's all over the place. You jumped on this, you know, really early. Um, but this is a guy, you know, who's watching BBC TV, and he sees uh, of the Hong Kong protests, this white, or this it looks yellowish um, light, you know, coming from the side of the TV screen. And then uh, 
hover in front of the crowd, above the crowd, and then zoom up into the sky at this incredible speed all of a sudden. Uh, and I think this video is really weird. Now, we've heard from Ben Hansen and Mark D'Antonio, who both feel that possibly this is a drone, and drones can move really fast. But what, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I do absolutely have to agree with them with the uh, the drone theory. And again, this is just, uh, you know, based on the available evidence we have, I think there's enough to suggest that that's what it most likely is. We know for a fact that um, media media outlets and probably law enforcement too, but we know media outlets were using drones there and are using drones there um, to capture aerial footage of the, the, the mobs of people there. Um, and we've seen that footage from from at least one or, or two, I believe, of the drones there. And, you know, drones can move like this. And with the perspective of the camera and where the object is, it's difficult to always determine the exact movement of the object. If it's actually zooming up or if it's coming toward the camera, that can play tricks on your eyes a bit there. But as Mark Natonia points out, these drones can and do uh, ascend rapidly. And again, how rapidly that is can uh, be affected by the, or the appearance can be affected by the, the angle of this camera. You know, mm -hmm. it can seem to be zooming up a lot faster than it actually is. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's it's a good good possibility that this is just a drone. It's a good, it's a possibility. There are drones in the area. That's that, that makes it really strong. But I'm not sold. I mean, that video, when it shoots up, th the camera is at least uh, far enough from the object where it appears like it's shooting up in quite a distance. I mean, the light is small enough. If this is a drone, it's, it's close. It's not close enough to make out the details of the craft. All you can see is a bright light. Um, so it can't be too close. I wouldn't think if you can't make out the, the details of the craft. And then it shoots up, which has got to be quite a distance. And, you know, uh, to control that, it just, to me, the, the video itself looks so strange um, that I, I still, I'm hoping that Mark D'Antonio will recreate this to show, to demonstrate that it's possible. Um, because at least right now, I'm not totally convinced. Well, and that's what needs to be done. I mean, if we... Mm -hmm get a drone with a camera and, and test it out and try to recreate this, uh, you know, rapid ascent and see what it looks like from a similar angle, mm -hmm. then that could support the possibility that that's what we're seeing in this video. Yeah. Yeah. Great video. Really cool video. This is a neat one. Um, and I don't know. This is kind of funny. This is a story I posted, you know, the same day that this next one. And it's gotten a lot of hits. That's why I want to refer to it. And this is about a Canadian writer who is recalling a UFO sighting. Uh, and it got a lot of hits, uh, maybe because your Hong Kong story was getting a lot of hits. And this was residual. But it, it's a lot of hits. And I thought it was a neat story. I didn't think it would get a lot of hits because it's just another UFO sighting. But it's kind of neat. It's this guy who is a contributor to the Innisfil Province newspaper in Canada. He also has written several books. He ran for city council out there. Um, but essentially, he's writing this story about how there's a lot of UFO sightings, and, and it seems to be they're increasing. There's been stories all over the country about UFOs. And he says that, I saw my own UFO, a bright triangular object that he saw 
with his son uh, that took off at a rapid pace through the clouds. And uh, he essentially is saying the UFOs are out there. Now we need to get some pictures, so get your cameras ready kind of thing. Uh, so it is kind of, you know, uh, fun to have a reporter out there speaking positively about UFOs. But, of course, these two stories that we've reviewed uh, has also sparked a lot of uh, media to be talking about UFOs. And uh, largely in kind of a, a pro, you know, that this is a mystery uh, perspective. Yeah, we are seeing more of that, and I like that. And with with the Colorado thing, too, I mean, the, the news report that NBC did on it was fairly good, you know, be, mainly because the reporter himself saw it and knew how bizarre it was. Mm-hmm. But still, they had to tag the end of the story with the cheesy guy in the studio saying, well, if you go missing, we'll know why. Mm, that cheese ball. You know, so it, it's still there, but as we pointed out, it's it's – getting better you can't yeah can't have everything perfect but uh we are seeing more of these stories where they are being taken seriously and that's mm-hmm. why it makes it more frustrating when like last week and other weeks we have these stories that are huge stories picked up by seemingly every media outlet in the world and they're just hoaxes yeah yeah speaking of which just to finalize you know another one of our big stories from last week is this alien hoax where there's an alien laying there with a gun on its chest. It's laying on a stretcher. Uh, you know, some people did some research. Actually, this guy named Isaac, who is a great researcher who um, out there, did some, some work to find out that this was actually part of an airsoft. And airsoft are pellets. It's not paintball, but it's similar to paintball. These guns that uh, shoot these pellets and these guys go do these war games and stuff. And one of the war games is to recover an alien body. And uh, so this photograph was from this airsoft thing, and this guy, UFO OVNI 2012, who has a YouTube site, posted this, making it seem as though it was an alien recovery, but that was not the case. Interesting enough, this UFO OVNI got a hold of us, commented and emailed us and said, hey, I didn't know it was a hoax. Once I found out, I took it down, um, so... Please don't say I'm a hoaxer. However, I'm not prepared to go that far. And the reason being is this guy gets a lot of has a lot of videos that get uh, millions of hits, and they are hoaxed videos. Many of them known hoaxed. One of them he gets a lot of hits on is a mermaid video from that uh, documentary that was fiction and admitted fiction. So you know. Uh, I I emailed him that and said, well, what about your other videos, buddy? And uh, so he's just not a trusted source, and I think people need to know that. Absolutely. I mean, there are so many of these YouTube channels out there, and whether or not these people are intentionally participating in hoaxes or not, I mean, they are putting this information out there without, you know, looking at the sources and – you can tell by the the titles they use and the descriptions they throw in. Yeah. They are intentionally trying to generate hype and get views. Uh, you know, I don't care how much he wants to plead that. Oh, I'm just trying to get the information out. That, no, no, you're not. That's not right. the case at all. Mm-hmm. So, shame on you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've got the Jason McKe- McClellan shame on you. 
All right. So there's some news stories. Of course, we have more than this, there, but uh, this is a lot of really good stuff that we've got on our website in this last week. Um, uh, it's been really active, so that's at openminds.tv. And, of course, check out Jason, Maureen, and I on Spacing Out on our YouTube channel. You can also reach that from the website openminds.tv. And you interviewed on Spacing Out one of our speakers for the UFO Congress that I'm really excited about, and this is Jeremy Corbell, someone who the UFO community probably doesn't know too much now, but they will in the future because he has these amazing documentaries, a string of them that he's done that will be coming out, and he'll be uh, premiering a couple of those at the Congress. Yeah, he's a really talented filmmaker. Um, we've seen some of his work, and just what, what he does – Telling a visual story is, is pretty remarkable, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there making good documentaries. But Jeremy, I, I think, has, has done something a little different than, than um, many of the other filmmakers. And that is, you know, he's, he's actually spent a lot of time. And I, I don't know if people will, will understand this, but the amount of time he's spent physically with the people he's doing these these movies about um it's a lot he you know he spent hours and hours and hours and hours for you know years in some cases with these people um documenting some of the the work that they're they're doing so i i think he's got a great insider view um he took the time to not only spend the time with these people and hear their stories, but also then use the connections that he's been able to forge and uh, take their research and do his additional, his his own additional research with these stories he's doing. And he puts that all together in these documentaries. So I can't wait to see the final product. I think people will be impressed with his work. And because of the time he spent with these people who are considered leading researchers in the field, um, I think his talk at the UFO Congress is going to be pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The research is the part that gets me real excited because Absolutely. he's not only interviewing these people, he's taking them to what they have to say to task and then going and talking to experts and making some really cool discoveries. Uh, That's right. It's not way. just a, the, a retelling of the same story that a lot of people who have been in this field for a while have heard over and over and over mm -hmm. again. You're right. He takes that, he presents that, but then he also, as you said, takes him to task and does additional investigation into the claims. So I really like that. Yeah, and he's found some stuff that substantiates some stuff that uh, many of us might have thought was kind of out there, but uh, maybe yeah. there's more to it. So really cool. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a real exciting one. Looking forward to it. Yep. So speaking of exciting, uh, let's listen to UFO Lawyer... Pat Frasconia. I am very happy to welcome to the show uh, for the first time, and uh, I think this is really, I'm really excited about this because this is a unique perspective, someone different uh, talking about Rendlesham, but uh, I'm really curious because I'm not quite sure uh, what all you're going to have to say about it, but I, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be revealing and exciting and a, a great perspective. But anyway, we have uh, Pat uh, A.K.A. Joseph uh, Frasconia. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Alonzo. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for getting a hold of me and wanting to talk about this. And you are Jim and James' lawyer, is that correct? Jim and James. You mean John 
John Burroughs. Oh, I'm sorry, John Burroughs and James or Jim Penniston. Jim Penniston. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, and, I've worked with both of them extensively over the last couple of three years. Mm-hmm. Correct. What is your expertise when it comes to law? What area do you usually work in? Well, it began uh, about 25 years ago as a public defender representing indigent um, criminal clients, you know, that were charged with uh, felony offenses and so forth. Later, I would, um, after leaving employment with um, government doing that, county governments and so forth, to uh, representing consumers that were harmed by predatory practices by banks, credit card companies, and the like. And then, uh, I guess going back about four years ago now, I started getting into some representation of veterans um, who suffered uh, exotic injuries um, due to various kinds of radiation and um, radio frequencies. Mm-hmm. Is this radiation typically due to uh, something related to their time in the military? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Now... Typically, when you work on these sort of cases, uh, do you have trouble getting records? Uh, most, the vast majority of the, time, of the time, yes. Oh, you do. So you're used to having to fight for, for these records. These kinds of records, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's not uncommon, and is this kind of, you know, uh, some... Uh, unfortunate kind of due to secrecy uh, typically well when I, when I initially began uh, specifically with John Burroughs and Jim Penniston on this I went into it thinking perhaps that it was just left in the right hands not knowing what they were doing mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing is that but usually it, what I, it is um, oftentimes it is in the corporate uh-huh. world but as as time went on, it became more apparent, particularly in their case, that there was something they just didn't want to release. And then being contacted by, by dozens, and if not hundreds by now, of other veterans who were in different different uh, military scenarios, if you will, of things that everything from, say, uh, atomic testing in the Pacific or what have you, uh, a pattern emerged where... Anytime something was being done that was, let's just say, unusual, um, then anyone injured seemed to have a problem getting their records later on when they wanted them. Hmm. I, I, think, I think there is a component of negligence, without any doubt. Certainly, anytime you're talking about government, there is. Um, just people not getting the job done, not caring, or whatever. But it goes beyond that. I think in, in these cases, there's an additional level that um, of deliberate omission mm-hmm. in giving people what they deserve. So, when you uh, when did Jim, I guess, and, and John approach you together? They did. And what did you think of their story? Had you been into UFOs or, or given them much thought prior to meeting them? And, and how did you feel about what they were, were telling you? Well, all my life, I've, even from uh, as a boy, I was a member for a while of, uh, of NICAP, National Investigative Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Oh, Phenomenal, really? Wow. And subscribed to their newsletter. But, you know, as I moved into my teens and early 20s and into 30s, I... I really didn't give much thought to it. 
other than I was always somewhat interested. I just thought it, it was something worth taking note of in the, in the field, but I didn't I didn't study it per se. But it wasn't until I, I happened to catch uh, Bill Burns, Pat Uskert on the show UFO Hunters back in 08, 2008, an episode called Military versus UFOs, that I was exposed for the first time to the Rendlesham Forest incident, and it in, immediately struck me as something special. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was um, not just unusual, but perhaps a gateway event into exposing the truth. And uh, ultimately, from there, I would seek out John and Jim for a UFO conference that I promoted here, um, in which I invited them down, Linda Moulton Howe and Tom Carey of the uh, Roswell incident. And that's when uh, we got to know each other and everything happened from there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and also for the audience, maybe in your own words, could you summarize uh, the Rendlesham Forest incident as you understand it? What happened? Well, you can't do it justice to summarize it, but I'll give it, I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> um, over the course of a few nights, December 1980, beginning with Boxing Day, there were lights in the forest. The initial contact was by Ed Kabanzik, uh, John Burroughs, and Jim Penniston, who responded as part of a military police team to what initial craft in the forest. And ultimately, they would uh, encounter a craft about approximately 10 feet in length, 5 or 6, 7 feet in width, 8 or so feet in height. And that craft, which ultimately took off from the forest floor where it had been sitting, did so silently, and then departed at impossible speeds, I think is what Jim Pennison's were, words were in regard to that. The next night, then, uh, Colonel Halt, who's a deputy base commander, he got involved because there was a reappearance, well, there was an appearance of something. This time it was a little bit different. It was a light moving around in the forest that would eventually morph into several lights that would go overhead, and collectively this is called the Rendlesham Forest Incident. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a whole lot more than what I just summarized, but right. that's basic um, elements of it. Right. And so, um, when you, uh, you know, first looked into this, I guess, you know, uh, and you, having looked at the book, there are other controversial possible events that had taken place. Um, for instance, there are claims of you know, the government meeting extraterrestrials and things like this. What did you what do you feel about those claims? You're probably talking about Larry Warren's claims. Correct. Um, I don't know Larry. I've never spoken to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've spoken to many folks um, involved in the Rendlesham incident. Um, typically, uh, John Burroughs, for example, when you talk about Larry's claims, he'll just say, I don't have the same, because John was there for both nights, you know, with Colonel mm-hmm. Hall then before. John will typically say things like, you know, I, if, it, if it happened the way Larry said, I don't remember that. And he mm-hmm. doesn't say it didn't. Um, going back to what I just said, since I've never talked to Larry and don't know Larry, I really can't pass judgment on what Larry has to say. Gotcha. So I, I personally don't give credence to it. 
like I do John and Jim's side of what happened, those events, because I do know them so well. Mm-hmm. I've talked to them at length for so, so many times. Gotcha. So Jim and uh, John had come to you with uh, that they had medical um Currently, they have medical problems, right, and that they believed uh, could possibly be related to what happened uh, there in the Rendlesham Forest. Um, did you agree with that? Did you think, you know, this is a possibility? Well, given, given speaking specifically of John in this case, since he has had some of the most uh, pronounced medical issues as a result and these are issues that began in the days immediately after the incident in 1980. Uh, and also having been present in Tucson last year at the veterans, uh, the VA hospital there after his heart surgery and speaking to his um, surgeon who performed the surgery, uh, I asked him point blank if he knew what had caused a particular damage to his heart, and he said he had no idea what could have caused that. Mm-hmm. And... That, and along with some other things that I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about just because they get more deeply into John's medical medical file, I would say that what happened to him and others that I've talked to in the know, uh, the injuries that occurred to him were due to a certain type of radiation that is known to be emitted by certain objects when they are operating in the spread of dimensions that they're operating. Mm-hmm. And in as, other words, mm-hmm. it's it's part of their operational. Um, it, it's part of the culture of the operation of the craft. It, it's what what comes off of it, if you will, electromagnetic ones, and these this type of radiation. You know, just a quick schooling for anyone listening that's curious. Electromagnetic radiation covers visible light all the way to X-rays and so forth. So when you say radiation, it could be light, mm-hmm. but it could also be X-rays. It's an all-inclusive term used that way. But there are certain frequencies within the spectrum that uh, are believed to be necessary for certain craft to be able to operate the way they do. And it is that spectrum or within and that, um, that band but it affects human physiology the way it does, specifically heart tissue. Mm-hmm. And when and you that's say... what uh, happened to John. Okay. And that's what happened to John. And uh, are, are there, for instance, like machines the military would use or, uh, or that would emit this sort of radiation that you're aware of? All right, well, that gets into the question, was this a black ops project? Um, I personally do not think it was. Uh, at this point, I'm convinced it was something else. It wasn't mm-hmm. theirs, meaning it wasn't the Soviets. It wasn't ours. If it was ours, then it was us testing someone else's uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, you have to remember, if in December of 1980, we had a craft that was doing what this craft did, and there's no doubt in my mind the craft was there and it did what it did. Mm-hmm. I, I know... I know the two, two of the three principles of the stories too well and have been with them in too many, too many in, uh, different settings um, to, to question their credibility as far as reporting what they saw. 
to this day, uh, what are we, 34 years subsequent, there's still nothing at an air show near me that operates anything like that thing. Did. Yeah. And at least in his, in their regular work, uh, in the military or otherwise, they never came into contact with anything known to have... Uh, no, nothing even of, close. Nothing right. even close. Right. And so when we're getting into the details of what the craft did... Um, and this is an interesting point. It would be great to hear your perspective as, as you work closely with both of them. From my understanding and from my own personal interviews of, of both gentlemen, um, Penniston had actually, when they came across this bright light, Penniston had approached the object. Um, he actually touched it. Uh, this is where you know he gave the details and he took notes when he was examining uh, the object, that it was triangular, uh, floating above the ground. Um, he took the notes and pictures and stuff, and then it lifted up and it shot off. Uh, however, um, John stopped and didn't get as close, but from my understanding, John only saw a bright light. He didn't see details of, of, uh, of the physical craft. Is that correct? Well, there there is some indication that John may have actually entered the craft. Entered it? Uh, yes. John John has told me that there was a, a time during that experience where he sensed that he, as he described it, he was in the middle of a football stadium-sized room. And he doesn't have the memory quite the same as Jim does. Mm -hmm. um, Jim was doing a walk-around of the craft, as you know, and writing notes in his field book, notebook. Um, and wasn't paying so much attention to what John was doing mm -hmm. at that time. And John just doesn't have the depth of, of memory about the incident mm -hmm. um, as Jim does. Well, and it is interesting where we talked about uh, earlier, and I guess uh, I should mention this and uh, talked about it, uh, you know, I've talked about it on the show before, but uh, how we did this story about John and, uh, and John had revealed uh, that there was a UK document um, done by the UK Defense Intelligence Group and about UFOs in 2000, and uh, it was released in 2006. And he noticed, and I believe some of this is in the book also uh, on the Rendlesham Forest that recently came out that was written by Nick Pope with uh, Jim Sorry. and John. And uh, he had noticed that uh, they had talked about ex exposure to UAP, another term for UFOs, radiation, and one of the effects is memory loss and problems with memories. And I know, yet yeah, John has talked all along about um, believing to have some sort of uh, issue with his memory during this experience. Okay, well, see, you're, you're hitting on something that's um, that is quite um, quite interesting that you you, you you were so sharp as uh, to, to note what you just did because there is a certain trying to say how I want to put this there there's certain research I would say that's being done on why humans certain some humans I should say react the way they do to this radiation in other words not every human being is affected in the same way mm -hmm. okay Thus, maybe the genetic makeup, whatever, there's a gene that's um, no gene, but it just happens to be a gene that allows somebody to come in within a certain uh, radius of these craft when they're operating, um, where their heart tissue is not affected adversely. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Jim Penniston, for the most part, 
was not affected in the same ways that John was. Yet Jim was quite close to it. Um, and you mentioned the memory loss. That would be another example. If this was a craft, whether it was from somewhere else or it was us operating someone else's craft from somewhere else, uh, there is an, an important need to know how we can use or put a human operator in these craft without them being injured. you follow? Mm-hmm. So folks like Jim and John are important because they help in understanding how a human operator could safely um, operate one of these craft. So that's uh, some research that uh, they have found is going on? I would, I, I, without going into details, I will tell you that I believe, uh, strongly believe that there is, yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting, and I, I mean, yeah, like like we noted, that this was noticed by the UK, and and like you said, and maybe for uh, and, and let me let me add one more thing. Uh-huh. Pardon the interruption. No this problem. is not this is not so unlike or dissimilar to the examples of um, uh, trying to find suitable pilots for the military and putting them in the centrifuges, you know, where they spin around and they have so many G-forces, some people can handle those G-forces better than others. Mm-hmm. So, in, in a way, it's similar to that. Far more sophisticated medically, but it's still the same same idea. Uh-huh. And an example of this, I mean, bringing it to this case, is that, you know, uh, Penison touched the object, he walked around it for a period of time, doesn't seem to be uh, suffering from the same conditions that uh, um, Burroughs is. Um, now, Burroughs, uh, I mean, mostly what he's conveyed is that, uh, you know, he stopped short. He was very freaked out with his, this very bright light. Um, but he does now, yet yeah, seem to have, start to have some memories of possibly entering the craft. And how is he retrieving these? Are they coming back naturally? Or has he gone under hypnosis or anything like that? He has gone under hypnosis before uh, many years ago, and as far as whether these particular memories you're talking about are the result of that, I cannot remember mm-hmm. myself uh, when he told me if they were uh, independent of the hypnotism or not. I just don't recall. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, and then I was going to say, so, you know, uh, unfortunately, both, they both have memory issues, or especially uh, John during this period of time, so I'm not quite sure what happened, but something did happen. He was out there, uh, and uh, there were other witnesses to um, this thing, you know, that night. But uh, there also was, a, and I know this is in the book, uh, they did measure radiation in the area, is that correct, afterwards? Yes. Mm-hmm. And and who measured that? Go ahead. I believe that was Colonel Holt's team that did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were readings higher than normal on the trees where the scuff marks, you know, were and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, it is my understanding that that is to be expected because if something is moving in the manner that such craft moves, okay, then there's necessarily going to be some radiation that's going to result. And what I'm what I'm trying to 
what I'm trying to say is a craft such as this one that we're talking about here was not performing like a normal aerodynamic craft as we know it. Uh, it was performing, you know, call it interdimensionally if you want, um, but it was not operating in the same space-time all the time. It was operating in a variety of space-times hmm. during that time. So when it came in and, and it was on the forest floor, it was there. However, something to point out, John and Jim both talk about as they got close to the craft, they noticed that. And Jim told me once that he remembers, he said it was hard to explain, but it was like everything was slowing down. Um, the forest himself, everything was slowing down as they got close to it. Hmm. Well, that's a space-time distortion going on. That's all that is. Wow, interesting. So, are there other? Then when, the, then when the craft, then when the craft took off, same thing occurred. And when you it talk about space-time distortions in that, it's in uh, kind of a space-time flux. Um, do you? Are there other uh, people who have told you this? I mean, do you have other experts that are saying that that uh, that's what they believe was going on? Just curious. Uh, the answer, short answer mm -hmm. to that is yes. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. People that are trained to know such things in science have told me that. Okay. So, you know, so they have this strange experience. When they came to you, were they already having problems uh, getting their records? Or was that, or were you the one who sought their records and then, and then ran into the issues? Um, I it's now been several years ago. I can't remember exactly at what point they were. Uh -huh. As far as their attempts go, but I know that there, the frustration was already there sufficient to want to invite a lawyer into the mix. So, mm -hmm. and what was the nature of uh, you know what they weren't able to retrieve, and what was uh, you know being withheld or or allegedly lost? Well, with John, uh, going back to him, since uh, most of the work that I've done in this particular aspect of it, has been uh, for his sake. Mm -hmm. uh, John, because he's had the most critical medical issues, John <clears throat> has been unable to get a complete medical file on himself uh, from the Air Force or, or anyone else who's the custodian of them since that would have them. Uh, he's gotten bits and pieces you have to understand, when he went into the Air Force, he didn't have any physical issues, okay? Mm -hmm. And within a, I think it was less than a year on another physical, after the incident, he had suddenly developed the issues, such as the heart problem, that he didn't have before. Anything that relates to showing that, we can't seem to get from the government. Mm. Uh, and... Even more uh, incredible is, oh, I'd say it was about eight, nine months ago now, maybe a little longer, uh, the government or the military, whomever you want to, one and the same in this case, essentially, uh, was denying that he was even in the Air Force in December of 1980. Wow. Uh, we finally got that corrected with the help of Senator John McCain's office. But that's the sort of, the sort of, silliness that we've run into with them 
trying to basically just repel all the attempts to show anything. Mm-hmm. Now, one might say, well, well why, why is it a big deal to produce the medical records? Why? Well, because in the minds of those that keep secrets, they don't want to give any substantive uh, help to any kind of, particularly this incident, because it's obviously one that's important. Uh, they don't want to be able to sh- John to show that he had no heart problems immediately before, but he did immediately after the incident, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when it comes to uh, Jim then, is is he experiencing health issues then uh, that may be related at all yet? Jim has, Jim has been public about some of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, insomnia and things such as that, but nothing, okay. nothing to the degree of John. Mm-hmm. And so, and obviously, of course, uh, John needs help when it comes to uh, finances. I'm sure he's, you know, trying to, and I think I read this, he's trying to, you know, get the VA to help. And, of course, uh, if uh, he wasn't in the military during that time, according to the Air Force, that would be an issue, a big one. It would be. Mm-hmm. In so, fact, I believe one of his denials was based in part or essentially on that, Um with his disability from the VA, was mm-hmm. the fact that they said he wasn't even in during that time. It's just, it's just it's ridiculous. It's that, and and the thing is, keeping in mind that John's not, and Jim's not the only veteran, aren't the only veterans out there that have been exposed to something unusual, and not everything that's unusual that has produced an exotic injury is related to something this exotic, certainly. Mm-hmm. But it's really sad that. The Veterans Administration has not taken care of these vets mm-hmm. for the sake of keeping something sacred. Well, and and have they said that? What has been their excuse? Are they saying the records were just lost, or are they saying that they are classified? Uh, we know we know that uh, we know that John's records are classified pursuant to a letter by John McCain. Wow! That said that they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially, going back to the talking to as many vets as I have, initially kind of thought that maybe that was a unique case, but now we find that it's really not. Uh, just about any vet, it seems, that was involved in something unusual that they just don't want to talk about finds their records um, classified or wow. otherwise disappeared or gone or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and I know, I'd imagine... Uh, and this just keeps reminding me of Area 51, uh, which is just, uh, it's so tragic. Because in Area 51, um, you know, there were the guys who were told the to burn. Yeah, to right. burn the, the chemicals. They got sick, and they needed those records to show the doctors, you know, what they might have been burning to help them. Um, and they never got them. Secrecy won. And so these people's health... Uh, was you know the secondary to the secrets and that's what gets frustrating especially because i'm sure the doctors would like to know the nature of uh what happened to john in order to help him oh we've got a letter from one of john's civilian doctors who's um, asked or makes that point um Mm -hmm. just as you did that he would like to see the the complete uh, military medical file of john to properly treat the man. Mm-hmm. So, yes. 
Well, and it's very telling, I mean, of course, that John would have some records classified, and I think that's what makes this all so important and interesting because, I mean, is there any other uh, project or, or that John was involved with that was classified um, that would justify, uh, you know, uh, any sort of classification of medical records other than this incident uh, with the UFO? This is this is the only one that I know of. This is mm -hmm. the only one. So, it. so it's almost saying, you know, yeah, this UFO thing is is classified. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Uh huh. I mean, it, it's it's the same old thing that you see. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's the uh, boomerang-shaped craft the size of uh, three shopping centers that went over Phoenix back in uh, was it '97. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same old thing. Nobody or or the, uh, the saucer object that was over O'Hare was it in 2006 in Chicago or eight somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. uh, no, nobody in officialdom ever seems to want to comment, or if they do, it gets down to the absurd where it was a weather balloon, it was a weather phenomenon. They love weather. It's always something related to that, and they just ignore it. Mm -hmm. Figuring, it, I guess, that most people won't pay it attention if officialdom doesn't. So, what's extremely, what's most upsetting, though, of course, in a situation like this, is someone's health is at stake. I know it's pretty chilling when I finally came to the real. I knew, look, I knew from, I knew from my legal career that when it came to money, um, American corporations, there are many of them, too many of them out there that will clean your wallet out. They don't care. Mm -hmm. Just. You know, I, I had no idea, though, that that mindset could carry over to our own government when it came to people's lives, and particularly people that had served in the military. Right. Talk about chilling. That that was really uh, it, it, that that I still find that not just abhorrent, but I find it absolutely frightening. Mm -hmm. But that's that's the world we're living in right now. Have you ever ran across a case like this? That's, a, that's a, actually a good question. Um, I've run across some similar UFO-type cases, okay, mm -hmm. uh, involving police officers and involving former military that have you know, gone back to the civilian. Uh, but none, none, none that had all the elements quite as perfectly as this now. Mm -hmm. Well, and even in your in your professional life, have you ran across uh, even UFO related or not uh, this sort of stonewalling? Uh, yes. Well, not by the government. No, not mm -hmm. by the government. Really? So, in your other cases where you've helped people uh, in this sort of area, have you you've always been eventually able to get records? From the government. Well, if you if you couldn't get records, eventually you get satisfaction, if you mm -hmm. will. For right. example, what would satisfaction be in this case? They give John disability and say, "Look, we're not going to tell you what happened to you, but we're going to take care of you," and that's that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. how likely do you think that is that could ha it could be that it, that happens? I, I think there is a good chance that's going to happen. Uh -huh. But I also think they play a game of they take a long time to do it because they're just running the clock out for people. 
Mm. They figure that, you know, so many folks will just go ahead and die off and they won't have to deal with it. But in See, that's case, really sad. And then, and of course, uh, with the recent VA issues, you know, I live out here in Arizona, so kind of the epicenter of all of that. But uh, that is just tragic that, uh, of course, that these people would have that sort of attitude towards veterans to let them die off people that should be honored for you know the sacrifices they've made i find it repugnant that there are so many politicians and i'm not thinking of any one in particular right now when i say this just mm -hmm. in general that'll drape the flag around themselves in support of veterans and then when it gets down to this kind of thing evidently they're not doing anything about it and um it's beyond sad mm -hmm. to think that um, this is what's happening. So were you satisfied? It sounds like uh, Senator McCain's office did uh, helped quite a bit. Senator McCain's office uh, has been beyond helpful. Mm -hmm. They have uh, taken a what I believe, I, I used to work in Washington for a, a congressman from California years ago. Uh, the the folks there have done a wonderful job in expressing sincere concern and attempting to um, see this taken care of for John, you know, his disability claim and so forth. I think the problem is they face a behemoth of a bureaucracy that they don't necessarily control either, you know, and they are, have to operate within certain guidelines there or rather constraints as far as getting things done. Mm -hmm. But they have done a wonderful job in helping thus far. What are their views? I mean, what do they make of this whole thing? Uh, that there's something, there's something to Rendlesham that is important enough to screw around with somebody like John. Mm -hmm. That's basically what they would say. Wow. And do you know if uh, McCain himself is aware of the situation? I have been, I have not spoken to the senator myself. Personally, uh, John has, and according to John, yes, he is. Mm -hmm. Wow, it would be so interesting to know uh, how he feels about the situation. I, I'm sure he, he finds it as repulsive as uh, anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, but again, he's you know, he, he can only do so much, even as a sitting U.S. senator. But I think he's doing all that he can. Mm -hmm. So it's really impressive, uh, I think, that uh, and that John has gone on his own. And I know he feels a little bit left out on his own. Uh, he's expressed, you know, kind of some disappointment uh, with uh, that he hasn't had help from other Rendlesham researchers, but uh, that he's gone out to seek all of these records and information, and it sounds like he's doing an excellent job. Oh, I think he is. Mm -hmm. I, I wish I wish more people were like him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's 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 the type of person that's going to make sure justice is done. So, yeah. I mean, that was pretty impressive. I mean, I think it's pretty revealing that that uh, that section on the UAP radiation he found in that. Um, um, mm -hmm. Declassified document. What was it like? Uh, how did you react when when he showed that to you? Oh, I, it, it was wonderful. I think it also that that particular document appears to me to have been written in such a way as to try to explain Rendlesham away. 
um, using the ball lightning and so forth. Right. But I think there are elements of um, of, of absolute truth in there as far as the effects. And I'll put it this way. I, I think it was written, that was written with the Rendlesham case in mind. Mm-hmm. Much of that, certainly that page, that, I, that one page that I think you're probably talking about primarily. Right, right. And of course, they, they reference Rendlesham as well, and that wasn't just by happenstance. Mm-hmm. I think that's because that was the incident they were thinking, the author was thinking of the whole time he was writing it. Yeah. So. Well, and this is, you know, getting to the book, uh, there are, and just your feelings, and if you've seen kind of uh, some of this controversy, there's a lot of controversy around Nick Pope. Um, I've spent a lot of time with him. I've interviewed him quite a bit. Um, I think he's been uh, really helpful to this field and, and uh, pushing forward, uh, you know, to get out information on the topic. But, of course, he worked for the Ministry of Defense. Um, he it makes it, and he's mentioned this at times, a little difficult working on this book because he uh, is still under the uh, Secrecy Act um, and uh, they're in the U.K., and he did have the book um, kind of looked at by the MOD to make sure he wasn't uh, talking about anything he shouldn't be. And, of course, then people uh, have been questioning that, and some researchers in particular have said that they feel he scrubbed the book a bit and isn't being totally um, forthcoming. Uh, at, have you seen that at all, at least uh, in what Jim and uh, John have been working on, uh, do you feel that uh, any of their information or, or your work it was suppressed at all in the book? No, no. Uh, I mean, the, the four of us talked on more occasions than I can count uh, during the time the book was being written. Um, sometimes as frequently as once a week, we would conference call to discuss the chapters and so forth. Uh, anything that Nick, I, I don't think scrub would be the right word. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, Nick, if he if he did anything in that regard, it was just it was the way he phrased it, just because he wanted to make sure he was not doing anything he shouldn't under any uh, prior mandates that he had. I don't know, but I, as far as keeping anything out, no, no, I don't think so. I, mm-hmm. I, I would. I wouldn't buy into that. So you, I mean, it sounds like have no reservations uh, about the book, uh, or and you do not feel that, uh, with your involvement, that you saw anything of that sort? No, 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 no. So are you personally very satisfied with the book and how it represents uh, the at least what you've worked on? Well, the goal, uh, the short answer, yes, because the goal was to get the book out there with uh, John and Jim's names on it, because previously they had not done that, mm-hmm. and to put something down that would, uh, you know, talk in their words uh, what had happened, and I think it was important to do that. And so, in that regard, yes, I mean, I'm quite pleased with it. Mm-hmm. And have you, uh, I mean, what's it been like for you working on this? I guess you've been an, an interested in UFOs for quite some time. It sounds like you have uh, facilitated events um, around UFOs. So I guess your family and colleagues probably weren't too surprised you were working on a case like this. 
Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, again, remember I said I've always had an interest, but it, it really was not a public interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed, though, since I've been involved in this, that I now get labeled as a certain kind of UFO guy or UFO lawyer or what have you. Oh, really? But, and that doesn't really bother me because, mm-hmm. uh, as, as you probably well know, the vast majority of people that discount the possibility of UFOs being aliens don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. They, they don't. They don't know. They couldn't tell you one detail. They couldn't of any great case. But they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you get into it and you you start to read and, and listen with an open mind, then you start to understand that you can't just discount this stuff um, yeah. as as being you know, weather phenomenon or what have you. So, but, and of course, something that Tom Carey told me once was, uh, you're not really in this field until somebody turns their back on you because you are in this field and they think you're crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I've now had that happen. But really? I've got to wear this badge of honor and I think, you know, hey, yeah, that's cool. You can believe whatever you want. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna believe what I believe because I'm I'm giving it a chance. You're not, yeah. so yeah. it's okay. Do you think it's hurt you at all professionally? I don't care if it has. To be honest with you, <laughs> uh, it, it maybe it has, uh-huh. uh, and I kind of look at it as uh, John and Jim and I were meant to join forces as we have, and I'm just gonna follow what the universe has laid out for me. Yeah, trust in it. Well, have you had those situations where colleagues who were skeptical took a look at the book and said, wow? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Of course. The typical reaction is, well, I never realized that all this happened. Cause I never realized it was this in-depth or people like these people were involved mm-hmm. in such a thing. Right. Um, certainly when you talk about pilots, police, and military personnel, the... Um, Average person is going to listen a little bit more intently. Mm-hmm. Right, and Rendlesham's an important case. I mean, Nick Pope likes to say often that uh, it's the most important case, possibly more important than Roswell, um, probably because you know so many of the witnesses are living and, and forthcoming. Do you feel uh, the same way? Uh, I do, in the sense that Roswell, of course, is Roswell and always will be. It's a standalone standard by which to compare cases, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick is correct, though. I'm, I'm not sure if there's even one surviving witness now. I, I can't I can't recall, but there were up until, the, well, well within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But it, it's now kind of gotten pushed back so far on the timeline. Rendlesham is a lot of... Just based on what you see on cable TV uh, UFO shows today, you seldomly see Roswell compared to Rendlesham. Mm-hmm. You'll see Rendlesham three or four to one to Roswell stories, and that kind of tells right. you right there what's more popular. Yep, yep. But uh, Rendlesham being, of course, really important. And then, uh, you know, I should ask because another great witness, of course, is is Colonel Halt, who was a deputy base commander. And uh, have you had much interaction with him? I have never, unfortunately, never had the opportunity to speak with the colonel. Mm-hmm. Um, he 
Oh, well, I take that back. I have exchanged emails, but I've never spoken to him personally. Mm-hmm. Never spoken yeah. to him personally. I know he, he's very cautious, no doubt, when he... Uh, about he is. Mm-hmm. He is. Which is understandable, I, I would think, too. He is. Yeah. I've had the pleasure of meeting um, Major General Gordon Williams. Um, he was um, very, very nice man. Met him last year. And who was he again? I'm sorry, I've forgotten. Gordon Williams uh, was, I think at that time, he was already head of the Air Force NATO in that part of their area. I can't remember his exact title. Comes now that you ask me, it's on the tip of my tongue. But mm-hmm. he he was over. Bentwaters, let's put it that way, and Colonel Hawk reported to him, I believe, um, routinely, or at least in this instance, he did. The general was very much aware of everything, but the general is also very, very tight-lipped, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. But a prince, prince of a gentleman, nice guy. Did he share with you his thoughts on, on the whole UFO incident? Uh, only to the extent that when he was through, I didn't know if he was uh, a believer or not. <laughs> <laughs> so some of that rhetoric, rhetoric uh, administrative, bureaucratic kind he of double talk. He didn't discount it, and he, did not, uh, he didn't say anything in support of it. So. Yeah, funny. So going forward, so you're still fighting to get the disability uh, uh, for both gentlemen? Uh, just John right now. Okay. Just John. And hopefully that will happen. And uh, as far as you feel, you know, what can are, can the person out there who feels for John uh, do something to help that? Uh, you know, it's never, and I want to emphasize that because this is one of the things that drew me into uh, helping these two gentlemen. It's never been about money. And uh, it, it's always been about the pursuit of the truth about what happened to them. And now in John's case, because of the severity of the issues, getting his um, disability from the government for the injuries sustained there. I think the best thing would be to go on the Justice for Bentwater's website or through Facebook, what have you, uh, just to drop John a note and say, you support him. That means an awful lot to both gentlemen. Mm-hmm. It really does. And that website's Justice for Bentwaters. I believe it's Justice for Bentwaters. Uh, if you just go and put Bentwaters, Rendlesham, you know, you're going to come up with a variety of sites. And John Burroughs is attached to that, Facebook, and, and so forth. So finding them is not hard to do. Uh-huh. So just some feedback. I know, yeah, he's a, a lot on, on a lot of the networks. Um you know, on Facebook, I am, especially lately, he's been doing a lot of commenting and, and talking out there, which is great um, to hear from him. And uh, I know there is a uh, Rendlesham Forest incident uh, page out there as well. Uh, yes, I believe that so. That people can go check out that they monitor. So just giving some uh, words of support is helpful. It really is. Uh, um, but that's a lot of the fuel that keeps him going. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I admire the most about it. And how has this case affected you? Is your life different? Has it given you um, kind of a, a new mission to help out with uh, 
this in this field, or, or how has it affected you? Uh, well, certainly it's opened my eyes to a lot of things that, that are going on that I never even thought about could be going on, and I don't just mean alien presence. I mean the way our government is actually handling things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my father was a World War II veteran, and so I've always had a lot of respect for those those men and women that served. Um, it also... It, it kind of keeps me looking to the sky a little bit more than I ever did before. Hmm. Just knowing that uh, there are things, there are things going on that are beyond our normal everyday experiences. And um, every now and then, someone like John Burroughs or Jim Penniston encounters them in a forest. So yeah, it's real. have you have you yourself had a, a sighting? No, not particularly, I could say. I mean, there have been yeah. times, many of us have, we wonder when we're driving home one night from somewhere what a light is. It doesn't look like a plane, but yeah. nothing nothing that comes to you anywhere close to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But uh, now that you're looking up more, hopefully you'll uh, have your own <laughs> incredible sighting. That's all right. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so terribly Pleasure. interesting. And it's great to hear from you, and uh, it's great that you're doing this work. I mean, this is uh, really important stuff, and I I think this story in this case is really important. I mean, uh, just by the government withholding this information is confirmation that something happened, right? I used to think that maybe not, that they're just keeping secret secrets of military hardware and so forth. I'm now at the point where I realize that it's not all explained away by that anymore. Mm-hmm. That it makes far more sense um, that something is going on. It reminds me of a quote by Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Idaho State University anthropologist, who's uh, a prominent Big. figure in Big Bigfoot world. Right. And I heard him once say that it seems to him more likely that there is an unknown bipedal ape walking around in the woods up there than it is that there isn't. (laughs) Uh That that explains things a little bit better. And I kind of feel the same way about this field. I think it it makes more sense that something from outside of Earth is going on than it does to explain it away with all the other things that we've been trying to explain it away by. Right, yeah. Well, I know a, a lot of the listeners here will uh, agree with you wholeheartedly. So, um, and do you have a, is there another website you would recommend people to go to or just go check out the book um, and check out uh, the Justice for Rendlesham? That's what I would do. And I would let the guys know that um, you're with them, you believe in what they're doing, and, and good luck. Wish them all All right, great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. All right, thank you so much to Pat for joining us. Uh, Really interesting stuff. I mean, this is a really cool developing story. So we'll be uh, keeping up with John Burroughs. We'll have him on the show soon to get his perspective on all of this. And, of course, you could read our story about John and his findings uh, at openminds.tv. You can also read more about this in the Rendlesham book that they wrote, uh, that Jim and James uh, wrote, or John and 
Jim wrote with Nick Pope about the Rendlesham Forest with uh, information that uh, Pat had also, you know, given to them or worked on. So all of this uh, is in the book. They The book doesn't really chronicle all of John's research and all of this, but it does have a section that covers some of it. Uh, we covered a little more in our... Uh, story on this and then we'll be talking to John to get even more and of course Pat then give it gave us a, a lot more of the story but amazing story that really has to get out there and this may be the one you know one of the the new cases that really pins the government down to show that there's there's somewhat of a cover-up going on of, of some sort of what who knows so we need to find that out so this is great stuff so thank you so much to Pat. Uh, don't forget to check out our video portal on our website. And this is a page you can go to where you don't have to buy the DVDs anymore of all of our lectures uh, from the UFO Congress. You can now go to this site and for a few bucks a month, join and go and watch all the videos you want whenever you want. Or just pay a couple bucks to watch one individual video if that's what you want to do. We have a dozen or so videos up there now, but we're adding more every month. And when we're done, we're going to have tons, dozens and dozens and dozens of videos up there. So a lot of incredible lectures from the past and uh, that you're going to be able to see. And, you know, it's, it's research that uh, is really important that hopefully does not get lost, you know, over time. Uh, and, you know, people like Frances Barwood, who was uh, the city councilwoman in Phoenix during the Phoenix Lights, and she hasn't spoken very much. Not a lot of people have gotten to hear her full story, and I think it's the most incredible story when it comes to the Phoenix Lights, because she interviewed thousands of witnesses and brought that to the city council to get them to do something and ran into a lot of problems. And then we also have people, because unfortunately over time people pass, uh, uh, one of those people's Lloyd Pye has passed away. He did research on the star child skull but you'll be able to see one of his last lectures uh, if you go to our video portal. So we have a lot of cool stuff there. And speaking of awesome UFO Congress talks, you can see them live this February, the 18th to the 22nd. You can register for the UFO Congress. You need to get in there. There's still rooms available in the host um, conference hotel. Those book up quick. I doubt that we'll have any, that will probably get booked up within the next month. Even though we're months out, uh, it, it gets booked up quick. So if you want to be in the host hotel, uh, you got to get your room quick and you got to register really quick. Otherwise, if you don't get in the host hotel, there are nearby hotels you can stay at. So no problem. But uh, you definitely want to check out this year's conference. It's going to be huge. We have a lot of incredible stuff. Uh, we have a lot of great speakers. We've got Jeremy, like we talked about, but um, I keep talking about the Allagash guys. I mean, I was hanging out with Travis Walton this weekend at a campout, and uh, I keep telling people that this Allagash abduction case that will be featured at our conference is just as important as his case. And one of the reasons is because the witnesses are so down-to-earth, regular guys, and getting to meet and talk to them is, is an experience. And... Uh, just like with Travis Walton's case, because really meeting Travis Walton is one of the most convincing things when it comes to that case, because he's just such a down-to-earth guy, and and uh, and you really feel for him or, or when he talks about the story. So uh, that's going to be a really exciting one. So definitely go to ufocongress.com or openminds.tv to see more about that. 
You'll want to check out our Spacing Out where we talk about Hong Kong and see the interview that Jason did with Jeremy Corbell. So a lot of cool stuff as usual at openminds.tv that you got to check out. And of course, MUFON sightings written by Roger Marsh every day. So get the latest MUFON sighting news. Thank you all so much for joining us next week. Thank you to Caleb Hanks for the open and close music. You can see more about him and his excellent music at UFO, or I always say UFO Chronicles. That's a different site. He's at theclerkchronicles.com, so you can check that out. His music is awesome. So let's listen to it now as we say goodbye to our friends and listeners. Join us next week for another great show. Adios, muchachos. <laughs>